0: This City Wire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies, from healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution. Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses, shaping our future economy and society. Scottish Mortgage is considered the flagship trust of Edinburgh-based investment managers Bailey Gifford and is the UK's largest investment trust. As with any investment, please note capital is at risk. To find out more, please visit scottishmortgageit.com. Hello and welcome
1: to The Advice Show. From advising clients to practice management, this podcast will give you UK and global insights into the financial planning profession. I'm Nicola, a reporter at New Model Advisor, and today I'm joined by John Porteous, who is a managing director at Charles Stanley. And we're going to be discussing some research conducted by Charles Stanley that really is about the changing role of advisors and some of the demands that are being placed on them. Uh, the findings are based on a survey of 200 financial advisors and over 1,000 consumers that have recently sought financial advice. So, John, hello, and thank you very, very much for being here. How are you today?
2: Uh, great. Thanks for having me, Nicola. It's, uh, it's great. It's lovely to see the sun shining for the first time in quite some time.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. We're we're having a chat after a very, very sunny weekend here in London. So fingers crossed that <laughs> fingers crossed that stays around.
2: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
1: it's about time.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um. So, John, I mean, I'd love to start off by asking you what made you at Charles Stanley commission this survey. You know, were there specific sort of trends you were noticing across the industry, or had advisors spoken to you about some of these sort of uh, factors brought up, or?
2: Yeah, well, th- this is the kind of the third chapter of some annual research that we've been doing. And so we kind of started this before the pandemic, which I'm sure to many people feels like a, a light or maybe more than a lifetime ago. Um, and it really started in a conversation I had with uh, Danby Block, who I think many people know. And uh, Danby and I were kind of talking about um, some of the, the, the big picture issues about um, intergenerational wealth planning. But we got to the point that we didn't feel that people were telling the story. So we saw all the statistics about the great intergenerational wealth transfer. But what we didn't really see much at that time was much about the stories, you know, the, the, the real people. You know, how was this actually being done? So people who were advising, for example, families on how they cascaded wealth or how they even faced into having the discussions about it, um, we didn't see so much about that, but we saw lots of infographics about statistics as to the sheer wall of money that was going to be sort of passed down. So we decided in our infinite wisdom that we would commission a piece of research called the Book of Stories. And so the whole idea was we felt um, that with an organization as long-standing as Charles Stanley, that we could do something really interesting in getting the investment managers, um, financial planners and the clients themselves to talk about their own stories their own experiences in dealing with the logistics the technicalities and the emotions of uh, transferring wealth through the generations which of course made for i guess a lot more authentic content which which we we found like super interesting
1: yeah, that's really interesting. So, if I understand correctly, the, these these findings were just kind of pulled from a, a load of testimonies that you received from advisors about their experiences.
2: Uh, yeah, advisors. And then, as we went into it, what we started to do is we explored other professions. So, we started to speak to um, uh, people in the, uh, the 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 legal and the the accountancy professions, um, some psychiatrists. You know, the the broader range of people that were all feeding into these discussions together. Um, and we started to find like some really really interesting areas of consensus um which you know was was kind of super interesting because you know you've got a financial planning perspective on these things but when you broaden that net out to look at other professionals who are trying to solve the same problems who are sitting around the same table um they they are actually quite violently in agreement with what the financial planners are saying but they're looking at it through a different lens so so that was that was really quite insightful
1: That's that's really interesting, John. Um, So a core finding uh, of this research is that many clients, I I think it was just over a third, uh, do want more emotional support from their advisors. So I wanted to ask you from kind of what advisors were saying, you know, what does that uh, increased emotional support look like in practice? And really, do you think that it's reasonable to expect from advisors?
2: I mean... I'm, I guess I'm old enough to have actually been the chairman of SOFA, which was the forerunner of the PFS. So I remember when, you know, it was all about, you know, advisors have to become professional by getting their qualifications. And that, that was the big, you know, sort of move, you know, let, let's let all become super technically proficient. But what I've seen in the last 10 years or so, I guess, is um, people move really towards developing their communication styles how they engage with clients what i would describe as that migration from financial advice to financial planning you know and and really all about all about the quality of the questioning and the probing and and helping people with their goals, right? Because there are two kind of people. There are those that know what they want to do and a good financial planner will question those assumptions, kick the tires and find out, well, it's great you know, you, that you know what you want to do, but are you basing that on the proper assumptions? And there are those people that hey, you know, are like, I know I need to do something, but I haven't any idea what I need to do or what my number has to be. And the financial planner takes them on that journey. So in response to your question, I would say that now more so, than ever um do you see those skills and the thing that gives me real hope and and real enthusiasm for the future of the profession is i see a lot of those skills hugely evident in that next generation of planner that's starting to to emerge much more open um much more in tune with their emotions which which i think is a great thing
1: yeah yeah absolutely and um you know, if, if advisors are do need to kind of um service their clients a bit more in this way, do you think anything major needs to change on in terms of, you know, maybe the the training that they do receive, the the kind of way that they um think about the service of financial advice? Or is it more, as you say, just kind of um chatting to their clients more about, you know, and raising certain questions that they didn't raise before?
2: Oh it's a brilliant question. I think both. You know, I really think both. Um Because uh, I think, going back to my point, I'm a huge fan of the evolution of the financial planning profession and the extent to which the conversation with clients has improved. Um, I've kind of always believed fundamentally that the quality of your questions will produce better answers, which in turn produces better financial planning outcomes. Um, But for some people, this this is a new thing. Not everybody feels super comfortable about this. Um, there can be all kinds of internal concerns, so I do think it's great to to see the availability of training that can help people develop this, um, and also understanding wider issues like you know what what's the setting going to be for this discussion? How do I tee up? How do I manage everybody's expectations? Um, how do I deal with conflicts that may emerge in the um, the the conversation? What is the family's relationship with money like? So for example, was there an event um, in the family's past that has really colored their perception of, of money and how money is used? Has there been past disputes? Um also, you know, it's it's a a kind of a, a Scottish thing, perhaps, but you know, often people in Scotland have two ways of growing up around money. You're either empowered and taught about money, um, or you're almost protected from money. You know, that you know nobody does it. So A family, you know, what what, what has their values around wealth been? What does wealth actually mean to them? And I think a good financial planner will look at that and go, fantastic, great. Let's get into that discussion. Let's open this up. Um, Perhaps those um, planners or advisors on the journey to planning who haven't had those discussions before might benefit from working um, in, in partnership with other professionals who are a lot more experienced in that area, or taking the whole thing more in a, a sort of a segmented approach, Nicola, where you know you maybe you're breaking the discussion down into two or three meetings just to give almost a time out to it.
1: So, John, another key finding from the research was that clients, again, I think it was around a third of clients would like advisors to be more accessible to them in terms of uh, within and without working hours. Um, so, same question really. Uh, is, is this feasible for advisors in your opinion? And what could that sort of situation look like where advisors are available much more for their clients?
2: Yeah, I think that this is a really interesting point. I mean, it, it's part of the kind of always on phenomena that, you know, technology has really helped us out. But similarly, it's made us so accessible that it has changed customer expectations as to when we can be accessed. And I do think that many financial planners would probably say, well, there is no difference. I'm I'm always available to my clients. But I do think that um, it's sometimes appropriate to sort of draw some informal lines in the sand around, you know, how and in what form am I accessible out of hours. But generally speaking, I, I expect that the way that advisors and planners will um, interact with um, technology will really, really start to change things. So, for example, um, the, the way that uh, client portals are used, the way that um, online um, access to websites can be used. And it's not just not just human interaction, because, of course, you know, all of us through mobile devices are Pretty much twenty four seven accessible through cellular or WhatsApp or FaceTime or you know choose choose your format, Nicola. Um, but what I do think is that advisors need to perhaps face into or planners rather face into the the reality that, that clients are saying, yeah, you know what, a, a kind of a, a nine to five and eight to six culture doesn't necessarily work for me, and 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 that that is is kind of stretched across the whole. Chain. So I think we need to look at how technology can address this, um, and also perhaps um, I don't know, qu- question some of our traditional working practices.
1: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, it, it kind of links. I possibly to another sort of key finding in the research, which was that um, not only do clients sort of want to meet advisors, you know, potentially not within working hours, but they want to meet more frequently with their advisors. I mean, is that something that you see, you know, as you say, this increase in advisor technology, um, client platforms, that kind of thing, uh, sort of improving for advisors as well or just making a bit easier?
2: Yeah, I I think over time, my own hunch is that the relationship between clients and planners will sort of normalize into, you know, how people use technology and how people draw upon, you know, professional individuals. So I think, you know, as more and more firms move towards a fully enabled um, technology proposition, I think what that starts doing is it starts moving clients online to look for valuations and look for documents and look for what I would kind of call um, low-level administrative inquiries Um, and, and sort of naturally filter out the discussions that they have with planners where they're dealing with what they might describe as kind of the more important stuff. So again, it's back to all the the whys, what the what rather than the what's and more the context work, where people need to have that reassurance, they need to have that deeper discussion, they need to be able to ask questions. So I guess it's a segmentation between technology for information um, and planners kind of for context and strategy.
1: Yeah, interesting, interesting. And um again on that on that stat that uh advisors more than a third of advisors are seeing that their clients want to meet more frequently with them. Do you think that is uh, you know, largely, largely a case of, as you say, this, you know, the fact that everyone's more accessible all the time, and so that that kind of um, infrastructure is there for clients to just contact their advisors more? Or do you think, I mean, I wondered if there would be other kind of uh, reasons behind it, like, you know, advisors having more clients who are taking income, and therefore maybe just wanting to, uh, you know, talk to their advisor more often? I I mean, was there anything else that you thought could be behind it?
2: No, do you know? I mean, I I think that, you know, you've got to look at the context of of the the um, survey here. You know, we're coming out of a pandemic, um, and and I think you know, and all, and also, of course, you and I are speaking to each other at a particularly interesting and quite incredible time in terms of geopolitical tensions, um, with the war in Ukraine currently, and you know that is going to lead, I would imagine, to clients. Either needing reassurance or having questions, or looking to say, you know, might I need to make any changes? You know, do I have adequate cash buffers to deal with market volatility? L- lots and lots of different things can drive that sort of traffic, but generally speaking, um, I would go back to to my previous point, Nicola, which is I expect you know that normalization of um, adv- advisors to be there around the strategy and they and and you know they will know better than anybody uh, how often they need to speak with a client and and how a client will value that interaction you know for for some it might be annually some it might be semi-annually some even more often um but I, I i would go back to to my central point which is i think the role of technology in pl- providing information and updates and you know that sort of 24/7 this is where my portfolio is um and that kind of functionality is is kind of key to to normalizing the 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 client dialogue
1: do you think some advisors would be um concerned because they are already quite stretched um we've we've heard from a couple of advice firms who have now transitioned to a four-day work week for example um in, in order to give their financial advisors you know more of a break i suppose but i'm sure it does mean that on those days that they are working it's you know they're quite intensive days so you know we've heard a lot about kind of the increased regulation and really admin work that advisors have to do um So, you know, are you concerned at all that these increased expectations from clients uh, could make life a bit more difficult for advisors, really?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think there's no question that um, the administrative burdens and the knock-on impact of increased regulatory expectations for advisors and planners is significant, and it adds materially onto the working hours in the day. Um, There's no doubt about that. And it's, it's actually... Uh, really disappointing you know the amount of time that good planners spend focusing on if you like the uh the regulatory aspects rather than the client aspects because um i'm pretty sure that that's not what anybody really wants you know where anywhere within the the sort of chain of 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 um of the client to advisor relationships but i do think that um with client expectations it's all about setting the expectation it's about having that conversation to say you know this is how i'm contactable Um, i've seen great planning firms fall foul of um, setting expectations with clients that they're kind of open 24 7 always accessible and then of course as they grow and become much more successful that becomes really really challenging to manage um, I've also seen really, really good advisors that tend to educate their clients um, around how to, again, use the, um, the the proposition that they've got. So rather than saying to their clients, uh, you've got a client portal, you load the app, this is what you do, they take the time to give the clients a demonstration um, and run everything through. Um, they, uh, and... Oh, and by doing that, it, it helps win clients away from the constant reliance to call uh, the, the advisor kind of out of hours. But you know what, Nicola? I, I'm pretty sure that the culture of, of advisors and planners up and down the country is such that so many of them would say that we put our clients first, we're all about the clients, that they're always going to be accessible. Um, so technology is definitely going to help. It's definitely going to be an enabler. It's definitely going to give them some leverage. But I suspect really good planners will always be dealing with clients um, out, of, out of hours. And this research is just showing that, you know, in times of great stress and great emotional turmoil like the pandemic, um, that, that demand just increases, which I guess underpins why you would probably say that many, many, many clients have such a high value that they would place on the financial planning that they receive.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, speaking of kind of the, the the technological innovations that have really come in as, as an enabler for advisors over the past few years, I mean, another one, obviously, is being able to do um, consultations with clients, um, you know, not, not in person, which they've had to do. Uh, but your research did show that the demand for face-to-face time uh, is increasing again. Um, how do advisors feel about this, John? And, you know, uh, is hybrid advice something that we're just going to see from most advice firms now?
2: Uh, yeah, look, I I think that um, the term hybrid advice is completely overused, completely overused. And what I mean by that is I think that there are now so many different variations on that particular theme, Nicola. You know, you've got, for example, financial planners that would say to their clients, I'm happy to catch up by Teams or Zoom or, you know, pick your your system. Um, But you know what? That's still fundamentally face-to-face full financial planning. It just happens to be that you're having a meeting um, online. And you'll have other services, you know, which are Guidance Plus and a lot of these services, these sort of... um, more focused advice services, which are actually built to be delivered um, online. And uh, they tend to be a little bit more fixed fee, a little bit more cost effective. Um, And that's a fundamentally different type of service. So I I see huge innovation in the hybrid market, but I see it um, both in terms of traditional advisors using it to free up time um, to make them more efficient and to be more user-friendly to to their clients who find it really convenient and refreshing. Not all the time, but some of the time. And I also see significant growth in the services that are fundamentally built around this technology.
1: John, another interesting finding from the research was that a quarter of advised, uh, I think younger clients, uh, said that they use social media or messaging to conduct, to meet really with their advisors. Uh, I, I found this really, really interesting. So, so, what do those kind of meetings, consultations look like when they consult when they're conducted over social media, John? Um, and yeah, there, there seems to be quite a, a sort of new phenomenon.
2: Um, I think social media is growing rapidly through the advice and planning professions. Um, I think that um, I think it's important as well because I think it's it, it's it's the way that people are communicating. Um, arguably, it's more influential, if not at least as influential as mainstream media outlets now. Um, and I think it's fantastic that our profession is active in it, because if not, you know, the one thing about social media is it does give a platform for kind of quote unquote influencers, um, many of whom might not necessarily be especially well qualified or providing vast generalizations which, if not careful, could create poor consumer outcomes if taken out of context. So um, I think, you know, I, as people work on social media and bearing in mind, you know, the social media experience often is is completely unique to platform. So if you think about it, Nicola, you know, you've, you've kind of got everything from LinkedIn, which is a fundamentally kind of business to business professional sort of network. Um, all the way through to to things like um TikTok which which is a completely different kind of experience so you know a lot of the a lot of the meetings can be you know people um direct messaging one another online using some of the functionality um i think you know we, look, to be clear here i think people are saying that they're communicating via social media platforms they're not necessarily um becoming Facebook friends um, and interacting in that that kind of um, highly informal and personalized way at the moment.
1: Right. Right. I see. I see. And I suppose, you know, what you were mentioning before, John, about, um, you know, tech being a really good tool, if, if clients do need that kind of, that kind of, you know, less, I suppose, important consultation that doesn't really require a, an extended face-to-face meeting, it sounds like social media might be another way to, again, just kind of uh, for advisors to facilitate more of those sort of less formal client meetings?
2: A hundred percent. I mean, it, it's, you know, one of the things that I see great, you know, great firms doing is putting out really, really first class content. Um, I think, you know, the the influence of YouTube, for example, post pandemic is is huge. Um, I, I see lots of people using the Twitter platform uh, very, very effectively to get their views across. But also, you, you know, the content tends to reflect the personality and the skill sets and the communication style um, of of the advisor. And people are using it in many, many different ways and very, very innovative ways. Um, you know, people can use it to win new clients. They can kind of get their message out there much more broadly. It's a lot easier to kind of set out your values and your creeds, you know, what's your firm all about? What is it that you believe in? Um and social media is a fantastic platform for that because it, you know, certainly for those firms that are looking to grow their profile or people who are looking to set up and enter into a market, um, it gives them a lot more visibility and a much bigger voice, much quicker and arguably at a much lower cost than might have been the case 10, 20 years ago when you're having to really trying to crank the wheel through PR and, um, and you know, mainstream media.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And, the yeah, the, the the cost and the kind of efficiency points are really interesting as well because, I mean, as you say, I suppose, you know, um, outsourcing PR or marketing, you know, probably wouldn't be an option for a lot of uh, perhaps smaller independent, you know, financial advice firms. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a really interesting one.
2: And also, I think the other thing I would just add, Nicola, the power of social media is, you know, you get to give your version of events what you, you know, be authentically yourself rather than someone else's perception of who you are. So it's um, a lot of people might argue it's a lot more kind of visceral. It's much more real. Um, whereas I think, you know, working through mainstream media outlets and obviously current company accepted, but you know, you're you're working in partnership with journalists, you're hoping that, you know, the way that you want to convey a message will be carried accurately and have the tone that you're looking for. Whereas social media conversely gives you a direct channel out to potentially untold audiences um, and get exactly the message that you want out there.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Which is such a powerful thing for businesses. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Um, John, we're, we're going to have to wrap up soon, but I mean, a final question for you is, you know, you've been, you've been, uh, conducting this research over several years. I'd love it if you could kind of pull out for us the main, uh, findings or trends that you've seen that have really kind of stuck with you.
2: Yeah, I, I think, um, two or three things really, um, stick in my mind. Um, I think we're moving into what we call a, a, a "what if" uh, generation of people. You know, a lot more people saying, "You know, what if?" And those are the preconditions for uh, really good financial advisors and financial planners to have great discussions with clients. Uh, I think, secondly, you know, the the great wealth transfers, it's often call, uh, called, to me, is is kind of a collection of statistics, and it makes for some interesting demographics but fundamentally, it's all about really, really powerful conversations. Um, what we were talking earlier, Nicola, about that, that sort of natural tension between IQ and EQ really, really drives it. Um, and I think that what, what we've learned about those professionals, the wider professionals who are really successful in unlocking um, the commercial potential, um, and client potential within um, intergenerational wealth transfer and conversations um, tend to be great listeners, absolutely great listeners. They're active listeners because they're listening to understand and to help, not listening just to answer and respond. And there's a subtlety in that point. And the, the really, really, really good uh, operators in that space are are very effective around that distinction. So those would be the three things I would summarise.
1: John, uh, thank you so much for being here and thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, If you'd like to get in contact with us uh, about this episode, you can find us on Twitter. We're at New Model Advisor or feel free to get in contact with me. I'm nblackburn at citywire.co.uk and we will include some more information about where to find this research in the show notes. Thanks again, everyone, and we will see you next week.
0: This CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies. From healthcare breakthroughs, to electric vehicles, to a green energy revolution, Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses, shaping our future economy and society. As with any investment, capital is at risk.